And do you know what? One precious night, God kept his Christmas promise. Would you like to know how he did it? Anybody want to know? All right, let's turn the page. The Christmas story starts with an angel. Whoosh. The angel, he came from God to see Mary. The angel had a special message. Mary, you're going to have a baby. He will be a special baby. God promises that your baby is going to be king, not for a little time, but forever and ever. He will be the forever king. Mary was going to marry Joseph. So God sent another angel. Whoosh. He came to see Joseph. The angel had a special message. Mary is going to have a very special baby, the angel said to Joseph. The baby is going to be king and will rescue his people. He will be a rescuing king. God had promised that his new king would be born in a little city called Bethlehem. So that's where Mary and Joseph went. But Bethlehem was very busy with lots and lots and lots of people. So when the baby was born, he had to sleep in a manger instead of a bed. All the other mangers in Bethlehem held food for hungry animals to munch. But this manger held a tiny baby. He was God's special new king. The shepherds in the fields had such a surprise. It was quiet and dark, and the sheep were snoozing when whoosh! An angel popped into the sky. Now the sky was bright, and the shepherds were so, so scared. But the angel had a special message for them. Don't be afraid. I have wonderful good news for you, the angel said. God's chosen king has been born tonight. He is going to rescue his people, just as God promised. He will be the rescuing king. Then lots and lots of other excited angels joined in to celebrate. The shepherds were really excited. They went rushing to see the new king. And there he was, lying in a manger just as the angel had said. But they weren't the only ones who had heard the good news about the promised new king. Some wise men living far, far away had also been sent a message. It was quiet and dark, and they were watching the stars when, whoosh, a new star popped into the sky. The star had a special message. The wise men knew what it meant. A very special king had been born, a king for all God's people. This child was the promised new king. The wise men were so excited, so they went on a long journey to see the new king. And there he was, 
just as the star had shown them. Everything God promised came true. There are lots and lots of different kings in the world. But God sent the greatest king of all. He sent a new king, a rescuing king, a forever king. And do you know what this king's name is? His name is, say it with me, Jesus. That's right, boys and girls. Baby Jesus wants to be your rescuing king. You see, baby Jesus grew up. He learned how to build things out of wood. And then he built God's kingdom by teaching sinners to obey. Because we disobeyed so much, he had to die on a cross to pay for our disobedience. But that's not the end of the story. You see, he rose again from the dead. He conquered death. And he made it so that if we believe in him, everyone, including you, can live with him forever by making him your forever king. And boys and girls, if that's something that you're ready to do, we encourage you to talk to your kids' own teachers or a trusted Christian friend or parent about how to do that. At this time, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. If you're in elementary school, parents, you may choose to keep your um, children with you for the duration of the service. Or you can also send them over to their kids' zone class where they'll be doing some activities. Kids' zone is generally that direction, and kids can just kind of follow the crowd over there if you haven't been here before. Um, I'm excited to introduce you, for those who don't know, Jacob and Jasmine Maeda, who are going to be leading us in the rest of our worship time. Thank you guys so much. Um, good to see you all. So thankful to be here. And just a little funny thing that I'm just reminded of right now. Um, I'm just thankful for my wife, Jasmine, this Christmas. Like, just as an example right now, she's asked me the question before, what did you do before you married me? Like, how did you find things? And just right now, I was like, I can't find my pick. I, I don't know where it is. And she's like, did you check your jacket pocket? I was like, oh, yeah, it's right there. So thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> so we can play guitar yeah. today. <laughs> but let's pray and let's worship the Lord together. Feel free to stand if you like. Um, we're going to sing some Christmas songs, and uh, please join in. Jesus, thank you for this morning, God. We just play. Uh, we thank you for the, the story we just heard, God, of your coming to save us, God, our Savior, King, Lord. We bless your holy name. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And, uh, yeah, we thank you for this uh, space and the time and the setup crew and everything. Um, put into letting us gather here together this morning. Amen. Amen. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. 
Jesus, we give you all the glory this morning in your holy name. Amen. Welcome, everybody. Uh, good morning and Merry Christmas. Uh, it's an amazing season, uh, especially this year. Of any year, this is a great season to be celebrating Christmas. Um, a couple things we want to make you aware of. Uh, one thing, if you have not found them already, uh, there's some notes and some lyrics over there, uh, but you can also find those at cibalhambra.com slash Sunday. Uh, that'll give you access to a place where you can take some notes and follow along with the message. Um, it's also where all the lyrics to the great music that we're singing today can be found. Uh, so go ahead and head out there to that website so you can find that. Um, if you are our guest this morning, if this is one of your first times with us, we have a special guest to welcome you and to thank you for coming out. Uh, it's a book called The Case for Christmas. It's over there, again, on those welcome tables. So feel free to, go, feel free to grab a copy of that as you're, as you're heading out today. Uh, one th other thing that you can note on the website, that's civlhambra.com slash Sunday, um, there's a place on that website where you can uh, contribute to what we're calling our Christmas offering. Uh, we do this every year. It's a gift that we uh, put together uh, above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings to bless other folks. Uh, we do that locally. We, we share nationally. We share internationally. So we're going to be able to bless uh, a variety of different ministries through our Christmas offering this year. Our goal there is to raise $18,000 this season. Uh, we're going to be collecting those through not just the end of this month, but through the end of January as well. So um, as you have opportunity, as you have blessing, uh, please feel free to give there if you can. We've already raised $1,390 towards that offering. Uh, so we're on our way, uh, and hopefully we'll see that continue to climb through the season. Um, let's do a quick thank you for all the people that put things together today. Can we do a round of applause for everything we've got going on? So a couple things we want to make you aware of. There's some coffee and juice and some cookies in the back if you want to grab some of those uh, as we're kind of celebrating and enjoying today. Uh, there's also going to be a photo booth after service. So if you want to take some pictures with your family, uh, there's a chance to do that for those that are here over in front of the tree. Uh, so you can head that way, and they'll take down your name and email to send you those digital copies uh, so you can share those with uh, your friends and family this season. Um, the other thing as, as a way of thank you, uh, since we have uh, volunteers that run the church, they set things up, they do everything, uh, the best gift that we could give them this year is time. So give them some time back to spend with their families. So this is actually the last service that we're going to have this calendar year. So we will not have service next week. So on the 27th of December, there will be no service. If you show up here, you'll get to enjoy probably whatever the remnants of the Alhambra's decorations are. Uh, but we are not going to be here singing and doing service. So uh, have, take that week off. Enjoy time with your family. Uh, hopefully our volunteers will get a chance to enjoy time with their family as well. We will be back uh, the following week, January 3rd, as we start the new year. Um, today we're going to have uh, Rick Durst speaking us again, sharing a message with us. So we'll thank him in a little bit. But I think we get to hear some more music because the band hasn't disappeared yet. So thanks, guys. Continue. Can I say one thing? Kids, you have some more gifts in your bag, and you're welcome to open those and enjoy them through the rest of the service. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. And actually, we have the song Silent Night up uh, next. Thank you. Silent night. Maybe on key? On key? All right. 
All right. I could have done it there. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Here we go. <laughs> pray that the message we hear, the Christmas message this morning, would speak directly to our hearts, Lord. Mm -hmm. um, help us to just uh, change us, God, from the inside out. We praise you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. What, uh, music was wonderful. 
really appreciate the worship. Um, now, this is untested technology, but I would like to start my message with, uh, can you name this tune or where it comes from? See if this is going to work. You know where this comes from? Raise your hand if you know. Yeah. Online, you know also? Yeah. In 1965, December 9th, an animated television show, A Charlie Brown Christmas Story, aired. Uh, and the show almost didn't air because uh, the story uh, just didn't catch as much with um, the executives on the East Coast. Uh, this was pitched by a producer um, and Charles Schultz. But then Charles Schultz, Charlie Brown, got on the cover of Time magazine. And so they said, well, let's take the risk. And so they wrote the story and produced it. But then when they saw the, the draft of it, uh, there were two results. Uh, one, the executive said, you can't read the Bible on TV because there's a piece in there where Linus, the character, reads the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Um, so they weren't sure if they should do that. Then, because they used jazz music, they weren't sure that would capture the audience either. And they used child actors to, to do the voicing. They weren't sure that was going to work. And, uh, but then when they showed it to the animators and everything, one animator stood up and said, you're crazy. This is going to play for years. Another one stood up and said, they're going to show this for 100 years. Well, we're now in year 55. Because when they showed it the first time, half of the audience, the television audience in the United States, watched it. That's an incredible percentage, uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas story. And the number one element of the, of the special uh, that got attention and got responses and people writing in was when Linus read Luke chapter 2, read the Christmas story. Uh, I remember one of the notes that was written in was from this man who self-identified as a caustic, Gnostic, Jewish guy, agnostic Jewish guy. And he said, those two minutes when Linus read were magical to me. And ever since then, I've known the text and could quote the verses. There was something powerful about hearing the Christmas story, especially um, to people who can identify with Charlie Brown, people who do a lot of things right, but a lot of times it goes bad and have a sense of maybe dejection and, and perhaps rejection. They're the people who are always running up to kick the football and Lucy jerks it out of the way. And so they're wondering, do I run up again to try to kick it? And of course, uh, one other comment, uh, commentary said that for once, Charlie Brown, the loser, turned out to be a winner uh, in this story in the Christmas story. Well, 
I want to read a piece of the Christmas story, but not from Luke 2. I want to go to Matthew 2. You know, there are four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of them have the story of Christ's birth on earth. Uh, the Gospel of John actually goes way before that and talks about the pre-existence life of Christ. And Mark just starts with Jesus' baptism. But in, um, in Matthew chapter 2, there's the identification of three gifts that Jesus receives. Now, I love history. You know, my profession is, a, is as a historian. And one of the reasons my wife and I like to travel and see the presidential libraries, because you get, get to roll around in the history. Uh, this summer, we got to go to finally make it to uh, the Lincoln Museum, went to the Eisenhower Museum, discovered Hoover's Museum, uh, his library, and missed um, Truman's. But here in Southern California, you can see both the Ronald Reagan uh, Library and you can go to the uh, Richard Nixon. And one of the characteristics of every presidential library is they put on display the gifts that various nations have given to the president. Now, the president can't, they're not his. He doesn't get to take them home. Uh, they belong to the nation. And so they're put on display. And they're just fantastic, fantastic gifts. And this just reminds us that culturally speaking, one way that nations build peace with each other is by the exchange of gifts. And as we look at this passage, that's what's going on. Heaven gives a baby. And the earth gives three gifts. So this is Matthew chapter 2. And I think I'll just start reading in verse 5. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written uh, by the prophet, talking to King Herod, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will, be shep who will shepherd my people Israel. Just like the story uh, we read uh, about the Savior King. Then Herod secretly summoned wise men and asked them the exact time this star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Now, Herod is a master of deceit. Um, and, you know, it is really hard to get two heads in one crown. And two kings in such a small area, not going to work. So for Herod, if the king had been born then I can't be king. So there's only going to be one king, and it's going to be me. After hearing this, the king, uh, they went on, the wise men went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until they came and spotted above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts gold frankincense and myrrh by the way i think the word myrrh should be on everybody's spelling test list it's got to be the most difficult word to spell correctly m-y-r-r-h and being warned in a dream not to go back to herod they returned to their own country by another route i'd like with you i would like to invite you to reflect with me just a moment about these 
three gifts. Um, the gift of gold represents affluence and influence. You know, gold is like the, the visa, the MasterCard for the planet. It always has been and perhaps always will be. If you have gold, it opens doors. It has influence and it conveys affluence. Um, now, if you think about this, and, and you know, I like to connect dots. I, I like puzzles, but you know, the ones that putting the pieces together, maybe that's why I'm a historian, I want to put these pieces together. Um, and I, I think, what happened to that gold? I don't know how much it was. Maybe it was you know, that much or this much. But I do know very soon after this, an angel warns Joseph to flee the country. And so they've got to go, um, and they go, decide to go to Egypt. And if you think about it, Jesus was born in a stable. That conveys to me, this is not a wealthy family. So how did they pay for that? I think that's where this gold went. It financed that trip so that Jesus could go, uh, grow and, and not lose his life to plots of, of Herod and so forth. So maybe this means to me, I need to give gifts that create hope and confirm giftedness. I need to give gifts to people that, that draw them forward in their hope. And, and to invest in this holy family, so to speak, in, in this baby, gold, does that very thing. Um, you know, I know this makes sense logically, uh, but when we have a sense of destiny, we aim higher. You know, Nelson Mandela, he said one time, our problem is that that we're afraid of being too small. Our problem is we're afraid of being too good. In other words, he has a sense, I want you to have a sense of destiny, of hope. And what can I give to somebody that will give them that? Um, you know, maybe it's a musical instrument. You know, maybe it's a certain book. Maybe it's an experience. But giving a gift like gold enables that to aim high. Um, now, I'm the first person, can I say, let me make sure, because my, my brothers and sisters may listen to this. Yeah, I, I know I'm, I think I'm the first person to graduate from college in my family. And I know I'm the first person with a master's and a PhD. Now, the others went on to get master's degree, but my point here is that I wasn't really raised to go to college. And we've raised our kids and our kids' kids to go to, go to college. And in fact, my grandson said, I'm not, I'm not going to go to college. And I said, you're going to go to beauty college or barber college, but you're going to go to some college. Um, and damn high. Well, I don't know where it happened to me. But somebody planted the seeds of destiny. So I, I ordered a catalog from Harvard. I ordered one from Yale. And I think I even applied. I couldn't afford it. But I wanted to sense that I could do that. Now, have you ever eaten in the Bonaventura Hotel? You know, that giant building downtown Los Angeles? I remember one time we had the opportunity uh, to, uh, I was speaking at a Korean church, and as soon as it was over, I said, let's go over there for Easter brunch. Because I wanted my kids to feel like they could go into the biggest place in L.A. and have the biggest meal in L.A. on that given day. 
a sense of destiny, a sense of hope. And that's the kind of gift that was given there. And I think also there's no way that those magi could have known that even though they gave immense gifts that day, they are not to be measured by the gift God had given in giving his son, giving his child. So where do you, or do you know someone, where do you experience hopelessness? You know, if, if power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, hope does the same thing. Hopelessness corrupts, and absolute hopelessness corrupts absolutely. We need to give people hope. We need to figure out how to do that ourselves. Um, if you've lost hope, what's the best path you could take to get that back? Now, you're already taking it, I can tell, because if you're here at CIV, whether it's um, through technology or in person, you're already taking a step in the right direction the direction of hope. Um, who could use your help, your help, to regain their hope? Who do you know that their hope is like the candle that's burning out, who've lost their aim in life? By the way, you know, in your life, you probably need to re-aim it five, six, seven, eight times. You know, as you go through different parts in your life, it's time to re-aim. Never time to give up. And I should say to myself too, how can you better balance encouragement with criticism in your parenting? You know, parents are, we know we have to teach our kids and so we do offer criticism. Uh, but I also need to offer hope and praise. Uh, the second gift, the gift of incense, frankincense. Uh, I remember the first time I read this, I looked in the Old Testament, and when you went into the temple, you, there was a smell, the fragrance of worship. And there was, a, there was actually a formula there on how you make this incense. And I thought, oh, that is great. I'm going to try to do that. And then the very next line is, don't copy this. This is only for the temple, so I never did follow up on that. But I still like incense and the smells. Um, and the scripture talks about the fragrance of obedience that God sort of sniffs at our lives. And obedience and worship have a pleasing smell to him. If you can please God, you've got something going on in your life. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, well, if I was going to connect this dot, what happened to that frankincense? Do you, do you think they had the best smelling stable or you know the best smelling house what did they do with that well frankincense is the best burning incense ever you can get some and it does smell wonderful um and they burn incense regularly in the temple and the next story after that is after jesus birth they take him up to the temple to dedicate him you meet these two cool older people who are waiting for that promise kept when the messiah would come I wonder if maybe they gave some of that incense to the temple that day and was actually used to worship. Um, so 
how can we maybe apply that to our lives? Um, how can we make that sense of worship be a part of, of the way I live? Um, I think that aiming high is at least partly empowered by holiness. Um, that holiness that, that leads to real achievement. You know, you and I know a lot of people who have had high achievement but flamed out because their lives lack character. They had great career, but they failed because they lacked character. That holiness of character is like that worship fragrance that goes up to God, and he attends to it. I think that power without purity corrodes position. Power without purity ends up corroding your position. Work without worship is anxiety. You know, I don't know that we still have the record for it, but Americans typically work longer hours in the year than any other people on the planet. Why is that? But work without worship leads to anxiety. So guess what? We right now are doing the best possible thing we could do to overcome anxiety by worshiping, by singing those songs, by praying, by praising. Aren't you glad you're here? Um, so, what's the application? The application is, what can I do to enhance my worship habits? You know, you may not know this, but you can worship anywhere and everywhere. You don't have to just worship together, although coming together like this, whether it's by technology or in person, is, is fantastic to do that. But also having your personal worship time, your personal prayer time. When you're driving, when you're walking, to live a life of worship. Pray to live and live to pray. You know, if you have children or grandchildren, how can your children see how much you value worship and integrity in your life? You know, ch children watch us to see do we walk or talk. We really live it out. Um, and do you and I know somebody who's in danger of losing their integrity, whose character is making them susceptible to failure? Maybe we can go and, and give them some incense, so to speak, to enable them to recover their holiness, to, to find confession and make things right. I think a lot of people would overcome the problems they're having if you or I, because of our insight into their life, would have the courage to go to them and talk with them about the direction they're in before that big failure comes and before they lose their reputation. What's the last one? Myrrh. Myrrh is, um, it really represents, I think, suffering all through scripture. Myrrh is there when there's need for healing. Um, and it's, it's a yellowish kind of um, material, and it's, it's used to deaden the pain. Um, what did they do with the myrrh? Um, we do know that when Jesus was crucified, that Mary, his mother, was there. We also know that when they were getting ready to nail him to the cross, he was presented with some vinegar mixed with myrrh. I wonder if the myrrh came from Mary. 
she was saving it. Uh, because she, she had taught Jesus a lot of stuff, and Jesus had taught her, and she knew that suffering was ahead for him if he was going to carry out his destiny to be the savior of the world, to pay the price for our sin on the cross. And so she was ready with the myrrh. Now, he did not take it because I don't think he wanted to deaden any of the experience, uh, though no doubt it would have helped him. But I wonder if that's what happened to the myrrh. Now, you may have heard this. I know I've heard it a couple of times. I never get tired of hearing it. Um, to really live life, to really live life, you and I must discover what's worth dying for. What is the thing that I'm living for? Is it worth dying for? Then I know I've really got something. Um, in kingdom economics, also, you've got to get things in the right order. Um, suffering comes before triumph. Um, crosses come before crowns. Uh, you know, people always wanted, in, in the gospel accounts, Jesus is rushed to the throne, so to speak. They want to make him king. They want to put a crown in his hand immediately. But the cross comes before the crown. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, after he's crucified and, and laid in the grave, he's risen from the dead, and his name is, he is lifted up. Uh, and his name is higher than any name. Certainly, after the crucifixion comes this exaltation. All right? Now, how can I give this gift? How can I receive this gift? I, I think part of it is, what areas of service am I reluctant to pursue in order to avoid suffering? You know, suffer, service and suffering are usually related. What price am I willing to pay to meet my commitments? You've got commitments, I've got commitments. Am I willing to pay the price to meet those? And where have my children or my friends seen me suffering for righteousness' sake? The reason he's doing this is because for Christ's sake. You know, if Christ suffered for me, I should be willing to suffer for him. Now, so stepping back a minute. Um, how can I venture whatever gold I have, believe me, I don't have a lot of gold, but how much gold I have to venture capital God's kingdom forward? You know, when we, when we give, whether it's for the $18,000 Christmas gift, uh, or, by the way, one Christmas, I was pastoring a church, and we decided that we were going to sing Joy to the World, one of my favorite Christmas songs. Joy to the world, the Lord is born. And we had to buy each word. So our goal was like $18,000. So we you know, divide that by how many words are in the, in, in the song. I think there were like you know, 158. And anyway, it came out to $38 a word. And I said, okay, so I'll give the first you know, $100 so we can at least sing three words of this song. And so the you know, band lit up, the choir singing, joy to the world and we had to stop it right there and i don't i don't christy was there i don't know if she liked it but anyway we got to finally everybody was desperate to get through the whole song so it really helped the, the giving uh, to go up each week as we sang uh towards that goal 
But the reason I'm sharing that is um, God provides for us, makes us a channel of giving so that we can place our gold where it will advance his kingdom. There's like a channel of giving that he'll put through us. It's, it's really amazing to participate in that. Read first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 if you want to do a little more homework there about venture capital and God's giving and kingdom. So how can I move my gold into where God wants it to be? Second, what fragrance of obedience could I offer up in worship today? You know, I can be frankincense today if I'll be obedient. What is God calling me to do in obedience to him? And to whom can I take the myrrh of God's comfort today? Do you know somebody who needs comfort today, who needs a phone call? He needs a knock. You know, I, I know social distancing and all of that uh, notwithstanding, but who needs that? Who will that touch? Um, I may have mentioned this before, but I just want to kind of close with this. Uh, years ago, uh, someone gave me a book called, um, well, it was by Don Richardson. It's called The Peace Child. I may have mentioned this before, but Don Richardson was a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And it wasn't working. The people he was trying to reach, it wasn't going very well. And he didn't know how to make it clear. The Christmas story, it, it just didn't connect with their culture, their understanding. And, and it turned out that this, this, this tribe was desperate to get a name for itself with the other tribes in the area. And the way you get uh, reputation is by pulling tricks on the other tribes. And so what happened would happen is, as they pulled a trick on that tribe, that tribe would pull a trick back on them, and everybody kept upping the ante, and it became dangerous for the survival of the tribes. Well, once they'd ratcheted it up so high and pulling these tricks off on each other, there was only one way out of that. And they told him the answer is a peace child. Well, what's that? Well, one of the tribes would take a newborn baby and give it to the other tribe. And as long as that, and they called it the peace child, as long as that other tribe kept that baby healthy kept that young child healthy, kept, the, you know, um, there would be peace between those two tribes because of the peace child. And all of a sudden, Don Richardson realized that embedded in that culture was a redemptive analogy, he called it. And then he went on to say, I'll bet there's redemptive analogies in every culture, and I'll take a step further. I think in every person's culture, there's a redemptive analogy, and if you don't get close enough to them, we can share the story that's their peace child. And so what Don Richardson was able to share with those people is, look, God has given a child to us that we have you know, done our own thing our own way. We have ignored him. We have transgressed against him. We have broken his commandments. And either God is going to destroy us 
But because he's decided instead to redeem us, he's given us a child born in Bethlehem, the baby Jesus. That's God's own son. And if we will treasure that peace child in our hearts all our days, there'll be peace between us and God's kingdom. And so that's what I'll say to us. Have you accepted the peace child that God has put forward in Bethlehem 2,020 years ago? Have you accepted him into your life and treasured him every day? If you have, you'll know peace. If you have not, that's the peace you want to have. The peace of the kingdom of heaven living in your heart because you treasure Jesus. That's his love for you, his love for me. Receive it. Then you'll discover what really makes Christmas merry. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this day, this morning that we get to here in this place, out in public, uh, celebrate the giving of the peace child, the coming of the Savior King, Jesus. And Lord, uh, this day, as we think about these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, may we embrace them, rejoice in them, be grateful to you for them, and also share them with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we close with worship.
song we are going to close with. Um, please join along and worship with us. Sing, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is
Thank you so much for this beautiful day. Lord, we're excited to um, continue to think about you and the good gifts you've given us, God, on this day, and take it out and spread that news to our friends and our family and the people around us. Jesus, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for coming into this world and making that ultimate sacrifice, God. We praise you. Thank you. Bless you. In your holy name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Have a great rest of your day.